Hey, I am glad that you're here today. It's great to see you. It really is. And Merry Christmas because this is Christmas week. And, uh, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about a Christmas project, something above and beyond anything that we might do normally. And we talked about sending cards to nursing homes or to people that might have, have bigger loneliness issues than others. And, and I want to give you Eloise Fowler's address She's at Majestic Care Nursing Home on uh, Hamilton Middletown Road. And uh, so this is the address if you want to send her a card, a gift, uh, whatever it might be. I would love to see us just shower her with some love. Uh, Anyone, I know we have people doing different nursing homes and different uh, places where you can make an impact with those. That's incredible. And I've had several people ask how they could find where to send them or what to send. There's a couple hundred people at this nursing home specifically. You, you can send cards, just Merry Christmas, and they can pass them out to, to all the residents. That's awesome as well. We're doing ours to Eloise. Eloise is a, uh, a charter member here, and uh, <clears throat> she is probably the reason that I'm still here because she fought all my battles for me uh, the first 10 or 20 years uh, of coming into this place. So love her to death. and. And it's a, it's a lonely place there. Uh, if you know anybody in the nursing homes, you know it's just really, really lonely. Uh, we started this series a few weeks ago talking about the epidemic of loneliness that exists in this culture. I mean, it's all around us. It, it, it really is. More than half of U.S. adults are considered lonely. And men and women come in pretty equally on, on this chart, right? Because there's not much difference. Men at 57% women at 59%, young people ages 18 through 24 are twice as likely to be lonely than people over the age of 66. Isn't that interesting? 42% of young adults reported always feeling left out. Always feeling left out. There's a lot of lonely people out there right now. And maybe you see them, maybe you don't. Anybody been shopping this week? Anybody? Yeah, some of you. Even just going to the grocery store. It's hectic. There's all kinds of people. There's all kinds of traffic. And there's all kinds of attitudes. I mean, there really are. You know, hey, I just want a parking spot. It doesn't have to be the front spot. I just want a spot. And people are cutting you off to get 120 spaces down. Not being very nice. Not very nice hand gestures. It's not even Christmas week yet. And that's how people are. It's like, okay, I get it. You're lonely and you don't realize it. I'm going to try to do something nice for you and not respond in anger. So that's what I've been trying to do. It's not always worked, but that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, when you look at this this loneliness epidemic, we need to understand that we have to do something to break this cycle. We have to do something. As a church, as individuals, we have to do something to break this cycle. A few weeks ago when we started this series, we started with these circles. And we're going to look at Jesus' circles first. Uh, when you look at Jesus and how he developed into this, um, this relationship building process, he, he started obviously with the God circle. Now God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, that's God the Father, God Jesus, God Holy Spirit. They make one God. I know it's confusing. That's just the way it is. And when Jesus came to this earth, he maintained that relationship with the Father and the Spirit. That was his primary focus. 
was to keep that relationship strong because he is God. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Now, again, that relationship is the key primary relationship it was for Jesus, and it needs to be for us as well. And here's the second part of that circle. It's, it's the close friends that Jesus had. And he had some really, really close friends. You know who they are? Peter, James, and John. Those three guys had more time with Jesus than anyone else. Jesus focused on those relationships. He spent more time with those three guys because those were his closest friends. And then the next circle for Jesus, uh, that's his discipleship circle. And so you're looking at the disciples, and those were 12 guys who gave up everything to follow Jesus. They knew everything about him. He knew everything about them. And, and, and those 12 guys, they, they didn't like each other all the time. They had some rough edges to rub off because they kept fighting, uh, didn't get along. But they had one thing in common, and that one thing was Jesus and that was enough to overcome any other issues that they had. It was a really tight bond, those 12. And then you go out from there and you have the followers or the church circle right there. And uh, when you look at the, the, the followers of the church, um, man, these were men and women who traveled with Jesus. They supported his ministry. They took care of him. They were all from different walks of life, but they were all his friends. And they eventually, again, became the first church. So followers and friends in, in, in both of those. And then you have the crowd, and that's the widest circle because everywhere Jesus went, there were big crowds of people. And uh, so you have that big circle out there. And some of those people would become followers, and some of them would not become followers. But he didn't want them staying on that outer circle. He wanted them moving a step in and another step in. He wanted them developing these, these relationships. And everybody in Jesus' circle had circles of their own that they were building and developing and going through because that's the way Jesus created it. Friend after friend after friend developed friendships through one of these circles. And that's still true for today. We were never meant to be lonely. We weren't created to be alone. We're supposed to live in thriving communities with friends that look out for each other, that love each other, that are pointing the way to God. That's how God created us. But it doesn't happen on accident. It takes intention and commitment to make that happen. Let's take a look at our own circles. We need to start with the first circle again, which is God, the same as Jesus' circle. If your relationship with God is not good, none of your other relationships will be worth anything because they'll crumble, because they won't be based on the important things. Now, so before we build any of the other circles, build your relationship with God. That, that has to be there. It's an unconditional kind of love. It's a giving, receiving kind of love. It's always there for you. It's that type of love. And then you go to the next circle, which are close friends. And those are some people that know everything about you. Right? That, that means at 3 o'clock in the morning, when you're in the middle of a crisis and you call them, they're not going to ignore your phone call. Some of you would do that anyway. But you're not going to do that 
for your closest friends. You're going to answer that because you know that there must be a big time need if they're calling you at three o'clock in the morning. And they're also the people that are going to hold you accountable. Like if you're doing something stupid, they're not sitting back watching. They're going, "Uh uh-uh, don't do it. Don't cross that line. Don't go there. Don't do that. Let's come back to reality and keep you safe. And then you have the next one, which is your tribe. And your tribe are your close friends, right? They're your group of friends that you hang out with. Who's in your tribe? Think about that for just a minute. Who's in your tribe? Who are the people you do life with? Who are the people you go hang out with and eat dinner with? Who are the people you do something in common with, you go camping with or boating with or, or to events with? Who are your tribe of people around you? If you don't know who they are, you got to find them because it's that important. And for some of you, you get to this next circle, which is the church. And for some of you, your close friends and your tribe are all part of this circle, the church circle. And I love it when that happens. Now, some of you, again, you might have a hard time knowing anybody's name around you. You've been coming here, you've been worshiping, but do you know anybody in this circle? I mean, sometimes we come here for months and months and months, maybe even years and years, and you don't know anyone. Look at the people around you, beside you, behind you, in front of you. All right, are you ready? Everybody stand up. Everybody. I want you to meet one of the people around you, two of the people around you, introduce yourself, tell them your name, you tell them your name, get to know somebody. Online people, I don't know what to tell you. Go to breakfast and introduce yourself to somebody after the service. Man, this was more needed than I realized. You guys are still going. All right, let's move on, guys. Come on, grab a seat. Listen, I I understand that that's tough for some of you, but we want to be the kind of church that knows each other and loves each other. We want to live up to our name, community, and we want to build that type of community within this place, this circle, this church circle. I mean, how can we show the world what love looks like if we don't even love the people around us? It's tough, and yet we have differences, and yes, it's not easy but you've got to do that. A couple of weeks ago, we had the gathering in the comm building, the gymnasium building over there, and we ate together, and we hung out together, and we laughed together, and we wore name tags, which was very helpful, by the way, and thank you for doing that. And then you had people like Paul Hornsby that calls out poor Ashley, one of the, the, the young adults here in the church, and just embarrasses her to death. And she was at the nine o'clock service, so I guess she's okay. But, you know, it's, it's a challenge when that happens if you're not an extreme uh, extrovert. But you got a chance to kind of meet some new people and connect to some people. Hopefully you did that. And, and then there's people in your corner of the world. It's the next, the, the next um, ring that's out there. And these are people that you run into all the time. Maybe you know them a little bit. Maybe you know their first name. 
maybe you even have a short conversation occasionally, but you're more acquaintances than you are friends. We need friendships. And God has put a plan in place for us to do this, and most of us bypass it completely. We need healthy relationships. And the question from the second week as we did this series was, if friendship is this important, why aren't we more intentional about creating and keeping these relationships? I mean, we've got all kinds of excuses, but why aren't we more intentional about it? Why do we feel like, oh, I, I just uh, can't do that, can't, uh, no, no, can't meet any new people, I don't have any room for any more people in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy, my job, whew. If you know how busy my job was, you wouldn't even ask me if we can, you know, go grab a cup of coffee because you just know I don't have any time. Friends, you have time for anything you want to make time for. And yeah, your job may be incredibly hard and it might be incredibly busy and your schedule might be incredibly full, but you still have time if you choose to make it a priority. Too much, too, too many excuses. Too much stuff going on. Last week, Joel dove into how do we make friends as busy adults, and the answer is we just have to decide to do it. You know, once you decide to do it, it becomes easier and easier because they become more and more important in your lives, and that leads us today, and the problem that we're dealing with today is the fact that we think that friendship is all about us. We think it's all about us. We think it's all about what we get out of it. And it couldn't be further from the truth. It's not about you at all. It's so much more than that. God has plans for our together connections. He uses community to make us stronger, to show the world what love is really supposed to look like, to push back the darkness that's taking over this world. It's bigger than just us. It's bigger than just our feelings. It's bigger than just our emotions. It's an important part of God's plan. Have you ever thought about the fact that friendship just isn't about you? Have you ever thought about it? Seriously. That was a new concept for me as we started working through this. I mean, it's not a big secret that healthy friendships, they really do make us stronger, especially with God at the core, at the center of those relationships. Christian friendships have this different level of, of intimacy and understanding that really sets them apart, or it should set them apart, because we have a shared vision, a shared purpose. Because as followers of Jesus, we know that it's not all about us. It's really about Him and what He wants from us. And that automatically kind of binds us together in this commonality. I love this next verse, and I use it a lot. It's Proverbs 27. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I love that because I need that in my life. What do you think of when you hear that verse? As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. What, what comes to your mind when you hear that? Supporting friends. Absolutely. Accountability. Absolutely. Discipleship. Yes. Redemption. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. When you look at it as iron sharpens iron, one friend sharpens another, there are so many things that go into that. I mean, when I look at it, I think about with a relationship like that, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to be better, I'm going to be safe. 
with those iron sharpens iron friendships. But what does the word sharpen mean? The Hebrew word used here is shada, which means to be or to grow sharp. You understand that a tool doesn't stay sharp on its own, right? You, you, you get that? Well, some of you know that. Others of us have to learn the hard way about that kind of stuff. I bought a used chainsaw when we moved to property a couple uh, last year, year and a half ago, and there's a lot of trees on this property. So I bought a chainsaw, and we took down a honey locust tree. We got several of those on the property. You know what a honey locust is? The thorns are like this big, and there's a ton of them on these trees. I mean, if you step on them, it's going through your shoe into your foot. If you run over one of those with your mower, your tires are flat. If you run over them with your car, your tires are flat. If you fall on them, just forget about it. All right, it's, it, it's over because they're that painful and they go through just about anything. Well, we took a tree down with a track hoe because we had a track hoe on hand at the moment. And so we took one of those honey locust trees down. I get out the chainsaw and I start cutting it up. I had thick leather gloves on. Let's just say my hands were torn apart from these, these thorns just going through my gloves and hitting my hands. And finally, I'm just, I got to get this thing done. And so I'm cutting and cutting all the way down into the ground. I didn't care where I was cutting. I was just trying to cut to get out of these thorns. And uh, it just kept getting harder and harder and harder to cut this tree with the chainsaw. I think it's stupid chainsaw it was used. I should have bought a new one is what I should have done. And I was telling my buddy John about that. He starts laughing. He said, were you cutting down into the ground? Um, yeah, why? He starts laughing. He said, the reason it's not cutting your tree is because the blade's so dull from you cutting down into the, into the dirt. You got to sharpen the blade. And so we sharpened the blade and daggone it if it didn't start cutting right through that tree again because he was right. He's not here today. You can tell him he was right and I said that, all right? So, so he, he was right. But, but, but it's that, that type of thing where if you don't sharpen what you've got, the tool that you're using, it's not going to perform the way you want it to perform. Now, in order for a pair of scissors, an axe, a knife, whatever it might be, to be sharp and useful, you've got to sharpen it. You've got to hone it. Whenever you cut with a dull knife, it's frustrating, doesn't work very well, and nothing changes unless you choose to change it, unless you choose to do what's necessary to make it sharp. Now, you sharpen a knife by using what? A whetstone? You've seen that happen? Now, we just throw our knives away these days. We, we, we don't do that very often. A whetstone? My grandfather used to do that. He spent a lot of time cutting meat, and he would use that with his, with his knife. And then you hone it, right, with a honing rod. And, and so he would do, maybe you've seen a butcher do that kind of thing, or maybe you've seen a, an old barber movie where they're doing that thing on the, you know, the, the leather strap. They're honing that blade to keep, it, to, to, to keep it sharp. It says this in the Epicurious uh, website. You can't see it and you need a microscope. But every time you use a knife, the edge gets bent out of shape. And because a dull knife is an imprecise, slow, and a one-way road to injury, yes, more dangerous than sharp knives... You want to get the blade back into shape. And to do that, you need to hone it. Anybody watch Forged in Fire here? Anybody? 
Okay, a couple of you going, you know, some of you might admit it, your hand's like this. It's a great show. I, I mean, I, I love this show. I got the opportunity to go to Shelley Mosteller's dad's funeral last week. And what a great service, by the way. Um, man, how he impacted so many lives and, and how, I mean, really impacted lives and the life that he lived, man, just incredible. And you can see his life in Shelley. You know, I mean, it just, it flows through her, and it's so cool uh, to, to have gotten to see that service. But as I was getting ready to go, it was a few-hour plane ride in Texas each way, and I thought, well, her dad was a Boy Scout. What do I need to do to be prepared? So I downloaded a few Forged in Fire episodes to watch on the plane. And, and I'm, I'm watching these, and I got to tell you, I'm just blown away to, to see how something is crafted and forged together from raw materials. I mean, if you haven't seen this show, you, you need to watch it. And my favorite thing that they were making was this thing called Damascus steel. This this pattern steel that's that's phenomenal. And to get that, they'd throw you know some iron and some steel together, some different things in, into a, a canister, and then they'd put it in the in the forge and light that thing up until it's red hot, and then they're pounding on it, you know, taking this, this billet of steel, forging it, hitting it, forging it again, hitting it, folding it, until you get this incredibly wavy pattern into the metal. And it's three, four, five, ten times stronger than any of these materials would have been on their own. Now, when you look at that, and you look at the impact that makes... I think it's a great way to describe our friendships. I, I, I really do. It's how they're made. We have all these different backgrounds, and in the, the, the Damascus steel, you have all different kinds of metal in there, all these different backgrounds, and we put our backgrounds into a canister like something called the church, and then we heat it up a little bit as life is coming at you, as things get difficult, and we get pounded into shape and our relationships get bonded together because we're doing life together and we're loving each other and we're supporting each other. And, and then when you look at the Forged in Fire show, then they test the weapons once they're made, right? I mean, it has to be strong. It has to be sharp. It has to be able to withstand everything that's going to come at it. And then one of my favorite parts is you're waiting for one of the judges um, uh, his last name is Merkida, uh, and you're waiting for him to say, your blade will, anybody know? Cut or kill, you know, and he doesn't say kill, he changes the lettering in it and stretches it out because he didn't want to offend anyone, and he's going, your blade will kill, and everybody's going, yeah, that's what I was waiting on, I'm going, okay, that's a little deep for church, right? I mean, that's, that's not quite what we want with our friendships, but it was, it's right because they're doing what they were created to do. And so I, I, I texted Shelly Mosteller. I said, Shelly, can you download a couple pictures from the Forged and Fire show? She said, what's that? I said, okay, I got it. You're a creative. You're not, you know, a, a, a handy type. I, I get it. That's, that's good. Uh, well, it's a show about forging metal. And she said, okay. And then I get this text. No, absolutely not. I will not I will not put a picture of this cut-up pig for Sunday morning. I won't do it. Let's see if it's up there. Oh, there you go. Okay. Shelly lost. I got it in. Thank you, Jeff, for doing that for me today. Uh, I, I texted her back. I said, 
you do understand. The, the pig was ready to go. It was already gone. Okay, just for those of you that care about that, he was ready to be your bacon for breakfast tomorrow, right? I mean, he was already in that stage. So don't, don't feel, I mean, it's already. And then she just kept coming. I said, don't you like Christmas ham? I mean, is there nothing? Stop! You know, so we got to this stage. So here's some of the other pictures from the Forged and Fire show. Just seeing what happens in that open forge. Let's go to the next one. And then you see like he's grinding on this blade and the sparks are coming off. And this last one is pretty cool. This is an ice chop. And what they do is, again, it has to be strong and they have to be sharp. So they'll put him through all these tests. And he's chopping into this chunk of ice. And it's not about what the knife does to the ice. It's about what the ice does to the knife. I watched enough. I quoted that verbatim, by the way. And so that's the, that's the part of this that's really cool. They're trying to see how it can stand up to all these different situations. And our friendships are shaped similar to that. Friends, whenever you're kind of putting these relationships together, uh, you, you've, you've got to go through the, the fire and you've got to refine the relationship and you've got to make it through the tough times so that you can provide what the other people around you need. So that you can be the person and they can be the person for you to get you through your situations. God's plan is for us to help us sharpen each other through healthy Christian relationships And again, sometimes that means it gets incredibly uncomfortable. But don't let those go. You need to have all kinds of different friends. Connect in all your different circles. But you need some really good ones right here in this circle, in this kind of canister where we're together today in the thing called the church. Because if we don't have really good relationships here, if we miss those, then you're missing the opportunity to have some of the greatest and most meaningful friendships that you'll ever know based on Jesus, not anything else. If you simply come to church and leave without connecting, you're going to be part of that epidemic of loneliness crowd because people here want to connect. Tony Evans says this, we need friends who will challenge and sharpen our thinking, help us make good decisions, and help us hone our spiritual lives until they are razor sharp. Good friends work to rub off the dull edges and make each other better. That's why we need ministries and churches that are full of men and women talking about more than just work, talking about more than just weather, talking about more than just Sports, sharpening each other is serious. And it's not just good for us, it's good for our families and it's good for our communities and it's good for the other people as well. When we as a church family are deeply connected, when we're supporting each other, when we're holding each other accountable, when we're serving together and helping to grow, we are more effective as Christians, and we are more effective as a church because we can love God and love people better when we do it together than when we're trying to do it alone. And don't miss this. We don't live in a vacuum. Do the people around you know that you're a Christ follower? Do they know? Because if they do, they're looking for something different from you. They're looking for something different than the reality TV relationships. They're looking something for something different in your life than, than the brokenness that's all around us. 
They're looking for you to have, have something that's, that's uncommon because of your faith in Jesus. They're looking for you whether you realize it or not. And the plan is to show the world what God's love looks like. And it's, it's, it's not about great worship experiences, even though I believe we have a great worship experience. It's not about good, solid teaching. It's all about love. Loving the people around you. Loving each other. It's so simple. The world has plenty of examples of what terrible relationships look like. What they don't have is examples of what godly relationships look like. And does that mean we're going to be perfect? No. But it means that we handle things a little differently than everyone else because of our faith in Jesus. Imagine what our relationships and friendships could look like as we're serving together, worshiping together, no strings attached, loving each other. Incredibly different. I believe the world's hungry for that. And I believe the churches are losing the battle on this because we're simply not focused. And please don't miss this. You are in the middle of a spiritual battle right now. Some of you don't believe that. I get it. I do. I see it. You're in the middle of a spiritual battle. And because of what you do and how you do it, you can overcome your enemy. So what, what Scott, you're saying that, that me baking cookies for somebody in a nursing home is part of a spiritual battle? Absolutely. Because if you don't do it, nobody's going to do it. And if no one does it, those people are lonely and hurt and dying in this epidemic of loneliness, and you could have made an impact. You, you mean like watching somebody's kids so they can go Christmas shopping? Is that part of this spiritual battle? Yes. Because you're building a relationship selflessly saying, hey, bring your kids over. They can play with my kids. You guys go do what you got to do. You start building relationships selflessly. Not worrying about what else may happen. Maybe you just look and you go, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to look beyond myself. Because it's not about me. It's about me impacting this world together with the people in my life. If you didn't pick one of these up when you walked in, they'll be on your way out. It's this sheet of paper, and it says, I'm here, I'm staying, and I'm in. Online campus, you can kind of look at this and kind of write some of this stuff down. Um, these are important for us, because as we do this intentionally, you need to intentionally figure out where you stand on some of these things. Well, we're going to go down through this list, and then at the end it says, sign it. So it feels super official. Those are Shelley Mosseller's words, by the way. Here we go. The first thing, I want to be part of a God-centered community. If you need that in your life, check the box. You know, the second thing is, I want to build healthy friendship circles like Jesus did. Sometimes it's just a matter of acknowledging that we need to do these things. The third thing is, I want to build trust and handle conflict with love and respect and how much we need that attitude in our relationships. The final one is, I want to grow stronger, love well, and share God's light together. Friends, there's a yellow basket out on the tables in the lobby. Sign that. Dump it off in that basket. Put it in one of the, the black offering boxes around the back. Just let us know. 
Nothing's going to, we're not going to do anything with that. We just want to know where you stand. You're not going to sign it, so we won't know who you are. We would just want you to know who you are, that you're willing to take this challenge with us, because that's the kind of church that we need to be. A church called community that builds community and impacts our community. Will you pray with me? Father God, I'm praying for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. God, may, may we truly look at your plan. God, may we follow it. May we get rid of this epidemic of loneliness. God, may we allow you to direct our paths and do life with other people that we can impact this culture for. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.